Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. According to the latest figures from the Irish Network Against Racism, reports of discrimination at work quadrupled last year. So unfortunately, despite positive action, preventative policies, detailed legislation and celebrations such as the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, which actually took place last week, racism is unfortunately still a very live issue in Irish workplaces. But to talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by the director and founder of the Institute of Anti-Racism and Black Studies, a lecturer, author, race relations consultant and anti-racism specialist. Yes, that's all one person, Dr. Eben Joseph. Thanks for joining us, Eben. How are you? Thank you. It's, uh, it's brilliant to be here, you know, talking to your um, audience. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And delighted to have you here, Evan. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Brilliant. So look, we'll, we'll jump right in because obviously there's a lot to get through and a lot of expertise. Uh, hopefully you can share with us, Evan. So, so we kick off with yourself, Evan, first, if that's OK. So look, as we said, Research from the Irish Network Against Racism has shown that incidents of discrimination at work quadruple last year. I know personally that really surprised me. I found it very shocking. But again, not being honest, I'm coming from a place of privilege where I haven't experienced that myself. So look, I'm obviously going to be surprised by those kind of things. But I just suppose from your own work, your own perspective, that one is that, were those kind of results shocking? Were they in line with your some of the findings and the work you've done? Um, I don't know if they were shocking. Mm. I think more disappointing. I think for me, they were more disappointing because, you know, there's been a lot of awareness, um, businesses and companies and organizations that didn't know so much. You know, they've been, we've tried to put out as much information. We, you know, people have gone to places to do trainings. Um, you know, there's more awareness, you know, so I had, maybe it was a naive hope, but I really had hope, you know, that things were, you know, on the, on the getting better. Um, particularly like, you know, you could see some groups of people who were not visible in some places of work. Yes, the numbers are still low, but we could see some changes, some trickles of, you know, um, certain groups getting into certain roles, you know. So I'm like, okay, this is working and this is happening. But I guess just like, you know, one thing, when I do anti-racism training, one thing I always say is when, if you don't make um, a space inclusive and you bring minorities, you bring people in there, you're going to damage them. You're going to harm them, you know? And I think that's what's happening. Like, you know, so they've just, people have just said, oh yeah, you know, add one. You know, they said add one, so I've added one, you know? But you know, it's number one, it's difficult being the only one of something in any place. That's number one. And then number two, you've just been added in without any groundwork. So all of the things that were there that they did not recruit your group before, are still there. They've not been dealt with. They've just now added you into that atmosphere. In the last um, three, four weeks, I've actually, I have to say, okay, did I send a signal out there or did something change? I get a call, uh, two or three calls every week, you know, from people who say, please, I want to talk to you. I'm experiencing racism. And it's in places of work. I mean, 
I won't tell you the names of these organizations, but very good places, banks and insurance, very good places, you know? So some of it's really disappointing for me, you know? Somebody called um, three weeks ago, she's only 26. That really upset me because she's so young, you know? When you have that kind of horrible experience, it just, it, it impacts on your identity, impacts on, you know, how you go into face work. And she, her own call was that, you know, she had only been one week, one month in the place of work. And, you know, her line manager called her and told her that, oh, you have to, leave, you know, that you didn't meet your target, you know, and so we're going to let you go. She was like, it's only one month, you know, but I have some of my other colleagues I met here who didn't meet their targets, you know. And the manager was like, no, you can't, you can't compare yourself with anybody. You are not meeting your target, you have to go. And then the man, line manager followed her into her office and watched her and said, what stood over her to pack her stuff and leave immediately, you know. So, I mean, she said, I felt like a criminal. I was so hot when she said that. I felt so sad for her, you know, because she's just a young kid, you know. That, that was just in, in three weeks. I got another call. Like, three people kept me on the line. One was from the university. You know, I have so many. I'm like, guys, all this, when I do all that's that's free work. I don't get paid to do all of that kind of work. Another person called me. She's having issues with her line manager. Like, you know, it's just a... a a horrible experience. But what really shocked me about this one was the fact that the line manager, they, they've actually escalated it to HR. And then HR told her that she must not mention mention what's happening to anybody within the team, within the whole organization. I'm like, how is that? So you're isolated. You're, you know, you're, you, there's no space for you to share, to, you know, to even get advice from senior management or anybody. I've never heard a thing like that, say that you can't mention it to anybody. And all of this, I'm saying this happened in three weeks. I was, I was actually asking myself on Monday, I was like, did I send a signal out there that come and hit me with all those stories? But but that's what I'm getting. So I am not surprised. I am more disappointed. 100%. I think you're raising good points there about kind of true inclusion and all the things that go with it. So let's, we'll come back to that, I think, and, and dig into that a little bit deeper as we go through the podcast, uh, 100%. It's, it's shocking to hear those stories. Um, Mary, I'll come to yourself. Um, so I suppose, Mary, we've heard stories there from everyone just in the past three weeks. She's experiencing a lot of different stories that kind of stuff I suppose Mary from the courts side of things the legal basis all that kind of stuff despite the legal basis and all those protections being there Mary it's still something that we frequently kind of see in practice and in the WRC and that kind of stuff Mary as well isn't it? Every day of the week on and and Evan I share your disappointment um, when I hear stories like you've just relayed there because I see it as a, a failure of the organisations, I see it as a failure from a HR perspective that you have uh, a young employee who feels so badly about their workplace and so badly about their experiences. And, you know, I, I feel ashamed that can be the experience for somebody. I mean, only recently you've had quite a well-publicised case on um, about a taxi driver. And I don't know whether you came across this, Eban, yourself, um, where he was awarded €7,500 uh, for racist treatment by a filling station attendant. And um, he claimed that, you know, he, he was refused diesel and was, ra you know, racially abused um, when he went to fill his car with diesel uh, in a series of late night visits to a Galway filling station. Um, and the WRC found that um, the company's response 
likely pointed to an attitude of inherent racism um, and that this particular person had been subjected to a pattern of humiliating treatment by the attendant at the filling station. Um, and the WRC upheld the the complainant's complaint uh, and he was awarded €7,500. But what good is €7,500 to that individual if that's the kind of treatment that he can expect to receive when simply going about uh, his normal daily life? Um, and so to hear that you know the that that racism has quadrupled in Ireland um is shocking and something that you know as a society we must tackle but certainly from a workplace perspective we need to be sure that you know our stance and the values that an organization have um on this whole area uh, is very, very clear that there's very clear expectations set about what an organization stands for um, and that there is a zero tolerance of, of racism. Own, as you know, we do an awful lot of workplace investigations um, around uh, areas such as bullying, uh, harassment and sexual harassment. And we come across all the time incidents of people from different nationalities, maybe different religions, different skin colours, um, people who are working in Ireland experiencing um, nastiness or, or being bullied or being harassed just by virtue of being different. Um, and it's not right and, and I hate to see it. I hate to see that it's increasing in our society, not reducing, like you say, um, Awareness alone does not make the difference. So what is it we need to do? 100%. And I suppose when we talk about it in, I suppose, workplaces specifically, and Eben, I'll come to yourself for this. Um, I know with a lot of discrimination, generally we see it in promotions, in not even getting access to jobs. I suppose from your perspective, Eben, more generally, even beyond the past three weeks, just kind of generally, I suppose, where, how are you seeing it manifest in, in workplaces really generally? Again, so key key things, you know, like we can see if we go. So let's use data first. So first, I like to use statistics, right? So if you look at from our census data, our census data actually shows that you know um, that people of people who are in the labor market, if you are from Eastern, um, if you're from the Western European, if you're Western European, your unemployment rate is between four four point eight percent to about nine percent. If you're Eastern European, your unemployment rate is between 13% and 19%. If you're of African descent, your unemployment rate is 42.5% to 63%. So the last, not just, not just um, one we just did now because, you know, they're still working on it, but the last census, which we have 2016, that shows that. So pre-COVID-19, when the unemployment rate in Ireland was just about 5%, you know, for the general populace, for people who are black, people of color in Ireland, of African descent, their unemployment rate was as high as 63%. So, you know, if it was happening to only 10% of the people who say, you know what, maybe they, you know, there was something wrong with them. But if it's happening to more than half of the population, then there's something wrong there. That means that there's a systemic problem that is happening there. So that means that their unemployment is five to eight times higher. Even when we look at, you know, um, 
look at skin color. People don't, I said, just go to the census. I'm not even going to give you my own reason. Let me give you census. From our census, again, it showed that people who were white, they are, those who were looking for their first job, well, only 1%. There are people who were people of color, people who were black in Ireland. Those who were looking for their first job were 4.5%. So four times higher looking for their first job compared to people who are white. So you can see skin color plays, nationality of descent plays. So that is from our census statistics. Um, a piece of research that was done um, across, it was an, um, an EU-wide um, study that was done. It's called the EU Midas 2. It was done in 2008. Then eight years, it was a, a, a eight years later, they did it again in 2016. So it found out that, you know, North Africans, 45% of them reported, you know, um, experiencing discrimination, particularly in the place of work when they were looking for work. So North Africans, Sub-Saharan Africans and Roma people reported the highest um, level of discrimination, you know, when they are looking for work or in promotion and in all of that. The recent um, report that just came out looking at, you know, um, pay gap. Again, we saw that, you know, migrants, while the pay gap, gender pay gap was about 14%, 14.2%, pay gap for people of migrant descent is 26%. Over, you know, do you understand? So when women, when white women start working from free from 14th of November, I say me as a black person, it means we start working free from August. <laughs> because if the, if the pay gap for person, people of mine is 26, 26.6% compared to, you know, um, it's a piece of research, I think it was ESR that I just did that um, study. So all of that is there. You know, so we see that, we see just, you know, we just, we, we see, you know, people not being able to, you know, a lot of studies have shown that, you know, when you have foreign sounding names, that is the easiest one to do. Foreign sounding names. So uh, a study that was done, it was done in Ireland 2009. It was done 2014 EU-wide. It was done again, you know, recently. And so all of these studies show that in Ireland, we have what you call a, a callback ratio of 2.5. So it, what that means is that if you have a foreign sounding name, for you to get one good, uh, when you, for you to get one um invitation to um, interview, you have to send 2.5 CVs compared to somebody with um, an Irish sounding name. So in other words, if um, Sasha has to send 10 CVs to get one, if Ebu Akpaveta, we have to send 25 CVs to get one. Do you understand? So 10 to 25. So it's a 2.5 callback ratio. That's what, so this is a friend of mine, you know, in the middle of COVID then when, you know, we had a bit of time and we were talking. So he's a manager, you know, he's a, he's a white Irish um, lad and he's a manager in a, in a good uh, organization. And he was like, oh, Ebu, you know, you talk about racism too much. I don't think it's so bad. So he decided to do uh, an experiment by himself. So, and, and so anybody who's listening, you can try it and see, you know, because I have a lot of um, people of color who've done this. They change their names on their CV and they start getting applications with it getting invitations with the same CV that they never get anything. So, but what this lad did was, you know, he, he's a manager, right? He took out, you know, his own name, you know, left all the school, everything exactly as it is. Then changed the, the details, put his own, put, he looked at, he said he took two footballers, you know, so he took the first name of one African footballer and took the surname, mixed the two together and put it on the CV. So it was a foreign sounding name on the CV. Then he did another one with a, with a, an Irish sounding name, and he sent them out. He said, Ebu, I did not get any call back for interview for the one with the, not even one came back for the foreign sounding name, but he got, he got invitations for his, for the Irish sounding name. He said, I was so shocked. So he, he did that by himself because he thought I was talking too much about, when he did, he said he was so shocked. 
to see that happen. One of his staff, one of his staff had the audacity to tell him that, you know, I did not, um, that when he did um, some interviews, that though the black guy who applied for the job was good, but that he did not employ him because he thought he might steal. I said, how do you say that? You thought he might steal. That, did he have a sign on his head say, hey, look at me, I'm a thief. He told, this was his manager. He, it was the manager who told me himself. He said he, he said he was so shocked, he didn't even know what to say to him. You know, so we're seeing all of this. We're seeing it among young people in schools. You know, we're seeing people, um, there's a young girl after, and I won't even go into that story because it might go to court. So I will leave that story now for <laughs> now because this one is one of the universities. So we, I'm trying to help and we might have to go to court for that. So we'll see. Yeah, but I, I just, there have just been so many stories. My head is reeling. I'm like, what's happening? We're supposed to be getting better. And at so many levels that it really is shocking to see. And look, I suppose before we get into the kind of preventative measures and things we can do, say to our teams as, as just colleagues and just people. Um, Mary, I might just come to yourself just on a quick one there. I suppose if we do experience or witness racism in the workplace, I suppose how do HR teams deal with that typically? Because I know some of our listeners would be thinking, God, if that happens in my workplace, I don't know what to do. It, there should be dignity at work policy in place and the dignity at work policy is very clear about the channels that somebody can use to raise a complaint within the organisation. But typically, um, you know, when you get to that point, there's no winners. Uh, everybody's losing because whether you're a complainant or a respondent or a witness, it's a really difficult process and it can be a long drawn out and protracted uh, process. And uh, Ebon, I'm not surprised that people are told that they can't speak to anybody in the organisation about the complaint that they're making because there's that confidentiality around the whole process. Um, and, you know, when you get to that point, I think it's really, really difficult for people. If you... Are, are seeing complaints coming through your system and complaints of harassment, really that person is probably at the end of their tether and they feel that they have nowhere else to go. Um, most policies will be saying in the first instance that you approach the person who you believe is um, being racist towards you and ask them not to be. But that's much easier said than actually done because if somebody's speaking to you or treat is speaking to you so badly or treating you um differently because of your skin color your race your nationality um it, it must be a very difficult thing to go to that person and say hey um i don't steal i really like if you wouldn't refer to me in that way again, can we work that out together? Because you're possibly into an immediate conflict. But that's what the first step of any policy is, that you approach that person directly yourself and ask them to stop. If that fails or you feel that you're unable to do that, then the next step is to set out in writing um, a complaint and submit it to either your manager or the HR department, and then your manager or the HR department will, will advise you what the next steps are. And they might look to informally resolve um, something, a complaint through mediation or a facilitated meeting or some kind of agreed informal intervention. Um, 
And usually that's voluntary and usually that's where um, both parties or all parties come and say, yeah, I, I'm agreeable to doing that. But again, so often when you get to that point, people are entrenched in their positions and it can be very hard to resolve these things at an early stage. But it's always worth trying, always worth uh, doing that because a formal process of an investigation and that's where um, our team step in and our team then start to operate in an extremely formal process whereby you're taking statements from people, asking them, you know, it, to confirm uh, points asking, getting witnesses involved, I involving a whole load of people in it. And ultimately, at the end of it, the investigator is finding a fact, you know, whether or not something occurred or didn't occur. And again, you know, harassment by its nature may well not be done with multiple witnesses. Um, you know, and people may well find themselves in a situation at a workplace investigation where they can't prove that something has happened and the, the vicious cycle continues. So, you know, the dignity at work policy is incredibly important, incredibly important, but it alone will not prevent uh, discrimination from, from occurring. Um, awareness alone will not prevent discrimination from occurring and you really have to look systemically and um, not just at society and that's a whole different issue Evan and Owen but looking systemically at your organization and really understanding um, your own data as your starting point you know honestly can you look at the makeup of your workforce and look at the data and and can you see ethnic diversity at all levels in all areas by occupation by seniority you know honestly can you look at your organization and say that we're truly an equal opportunities employer uh, ebon it is such a common story that somebody will apply for a job and not get through from a shortlisting perspective uh, at the very earliest stages and that those barriers are in place for people for no other reason other than they're different, other than some hiring manager or recruitment consultant or um, HR department or function or individual um, has eliminated somebody for no good reason other than they're different, other than that they have got biases or prejudices against some, somebody or a group of people. Um, and if we're really honest and we really want to tackle racism in the workplace, then we need to look at our data. Who are, who, who are we attracting? How are we attracting them? Where are we um, advertising? What channels are we using? How are we honestly conveying that we're a, an equal opportunities employer? And how can that then be translated from a policy or a statement of our intent into actual reality where our organizations actually have um, multiple 
cultures, multiple groups of people that feel connected, that feel included, uh, that is diverse. Um, and that's the real challenge. And, and oh, and so many times I have talked on this podcast about the difference between jumping on a hot and trendy topic like diversity and inclusion and the actual practical reality of um, how people actually feel within that organization. A strategy is a strategy, sporadic, occasional, half-hearted um, attempts or, you know, intermittent actions does not make a strategy and does not create an inclusive environment or a, diver- or a diverse environment. Absolutely. And it's an important point because I suppose we, we speak a lot about, I remember years ago it used to be just diversity, but now it's diversity and inclusion, which is an important, I know it's, it might seem like a, a small thing to you now put those two things together. Just such an important point. I suppose, Edwin, when we talk about true inclusion and proper that feeling of anyone can walk in that door and feel included in a workplace, I suppose, do you have any advice on how we can begin to look at that, Edwin? How do we, is there little things we can do to really get that started? What are the important things when it comes to actually making a workplace inclusive? I think even if we first, if if we just even first mm. looked at the definition, you know, like you, 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 as you rightly said, you know, it used to be diversity. Now we've added inclusion, we've added equity, you know. So when we talk about diversity, really, and that's what we're all doing, really, diversity is actually just looking at who is there. It's just looking at who is at the table. You know, oh, there are three males in my house. You know, one is five, one is 10, one is 15. You know, that's what that's what diversity is saying. You know, um, I have, we have 50% female. We have 2% people with disabilities. We have um, 20% born outside of Ireland. That's what diversity is. It doesn't tell you the psychological safety of the people. It doesn't tell you anything about that. It doesn't tell you who is getting promoted. It doesn't tell you whether a particular group have been there for 10 years and they are not getting promoted while another group spent only three years. You understand? So it only tells you who is there. That's what diversity is. But the inclusion arm of it, actually the equity arm of it, which is what you know we're trying to do now, which is what we're changing that language from diversity more into equity. Equity is then looking at, you know, those who are there, like, you know, how, like, who is, who is not there? Do you understand? So it's looking at who is not there. So, so equity looks at who is not, who is not at the table with us, you know? So it looks at how, what can we provide, you know? How do, what can we provide, you know? What can we provide for those, you know, who are not there? So in other words, it assumes, right, that those who are not there are not there because they don't want to be or because they are not qualified. It's assumed they are not there because we as an organization is, we are positioned in such a way that keeps them out. So equity says who is trying to get into our organization that cannot. So if an organization thinks about it like that, you will do a different thing. Okay. So you see, equity is, is like, and I love this one, you know, I, I'm sure a few people know it. Of, we say that, you know, um, equality is like, you know, giving everybody, ensuring everyone has a shoe. But equity is ensuring that they all have shoes that fit. You know, I can be around top today and say, one for everyone in the audience, you know. <laughs> and I bring size 15 um, Jordan runners for you. It's of no use to you because, you know, everybody in the room, they are all female. They are all size 8, 6, and 12. So the size 14 shoes are of no use. But when I come in, so that's diversity. But when I, that's equality. I've given everybody the same thing. But diversity, the equity is then coming in to say, you know what, you are size 8 take size eight. You are size five, take size five. You are size. So for us to do equity, 
We cannot lump people together anymore. You actually have to know who is in your team. You then have to know what they need to be able to navigate the, the labor market safely. You are then able to put things in place for them to navigate. So that one size fits all doesn't work when we're doing equity. Then when we then do inclusion, then we are then saying, who is, you know, whose voice is not being heard? Is everybody in the organization, are all their voices heard? People do a lot of surveys and the survey says 85% are amazed, says the organization is amazed. I'm like, Duh. you do know that 90% or 95% of your organization is white. So when 80% or 85% say you are good, you've just polled yourself. You've just polled the 90% of white people who are there who have told you that you are amazing. So then you then need to look for that 10% who says you are not amazing because that's where the real result is. Because, do uh, you understand, already the, the, the survey is skewed that 90% of your staff are of a particular group. So if 85% say you're good, then that, you're actually in trouble because that means you don't even have everybody of your 90% saying you are inclusive. Do you understand? You know, so those are some of the key, key things um, that we're looking at. I know people are doing programs, you know, a lot of, I, I have to give it to some, some places, you know, I went to a, a particular place to speak on for Black History Month um, and, you know, it was quite good. They had like 25, 24%, you know, born outside of Ireland, you know, they had 24%, you know, diversity within the group, but I still push them on it. I say, yes, that's the diversity, but how, how, you know, inclusive is it, you know, for them, you know, to be there. So, so really at the end of the day, when we're looking at, um, at, when we're looking at inclusive, at, um, you know, anti-racism in a place of work, it's not just about the Black History Month event. It's not just about, you know, diversifying our leaflets or, you know, saying it. It's everything, you know. We must have a practice that is reflective. That means that, you know, we can we have to sit down and think, what is it that we're doing? Who is not who is not here with us? You know, you know who is trying to get into our organization that is not here? You know, Yes, have the diverse workforce, but we must be advocating for others whose voice is not being heard. You know, what can we do to make sure that everybody's voice is heard in the organization? You have to do things like, you know, um, you know, su supporting the staff, you know, consulting experts, bring experts, you know, in, in those fields. Ask the people. You know, most times when people do, you know, they ask, oh, are you happy here? Do you, is there racism here? I said, of course, they'll tell you no, because they don't want to be the, they don't want to be the one calling out anything. So they'll tell you no. You know, but what you want to ask them is ask them, have you ever wanted to change your job? When I did my research, because I'm a critical race theorist, so critical race theory doesn't ask you straight questions. So when I, what I asked my interviewees was, I didn't ask them, I didn't mention racism at all. I said, have you ever wanted to leave your job? Why? And so they went into deep places that they had never been. They told me stuff. One of the girls said, oh my God, I feel like I've just gone for therapy. I have never mentioned all of the things I just told you. So that's what you want to ask them. Have you ever wanted to leave our organization? Have you ever wanted to leave this department? Why? Then you will hear the truth about your organization that you have never heard. And be prepared for it because you won't like to talk of what you hear. So, to those, so, so the questions we ask are wrong, you know, and that's part of the problem. I see a lot of people doing DEI, you know. I think, I think what is the stat? I think about 73% of the people who do DEI are whites. That the leaders are white. In the last um, two months in Ireland, I've seen I'm seeing you know white people giving themselves awards. For, I'm saying for what? Why, what are you awarding yourself for? We that you are supposed to be diverse too. We are still crying out. We are saying that you know there's no equity for us. So what are you awarding yourself for? 
you know. So I, I see them sitting and awarding themselves for diversity and inclusion. I say, unless race is unless race is not part of the things you're doing, you know. See, when it comes to gender, people understand it. When we talk about gender targets, when we talk about targets, act, um, you know, affirmative action, you know, quotas, when we talk about it for gender, everybody understands it. But when it comes to anything that has to do with race, nobody understands it. They're like, oh, no, no, they are lazy. That's why they are not getting the job, you know? So, but when it comes to gender, we understand, oh, there's, you know, gender inequality. So we need to do things to bring more women, you know? So it, it's the same thing. All of the same things we did to bring more women on board. We need to do that to make the place more racially inclusive. Just the way we are doing to make it gender inclusive. You know, we must do those same things as well for, for anything to work. 100%. And look, I suppose it's kind of, it's, it's great to get such insights and so, there's so many things we, we can do from what you've been saying there. Open there's a, a long list of things we can do and it's important to note that even though some of these things are being done, the journey's by nowhere near finished. And so it's great to hear those things. I suppose, last question to yourself then, Mary, when it comes to HR teams now sitting back and saying, right, we need to educate our line managers, we need to look at our policies, that kind of stuff. Any kind of final words of advice from you, Mary, on that point? Barrier to entry is probably one of the the biggest areas where an organization really needs to look at what they're actually doing. So back to your point, Eben, um, you know, if we don't have the people coming into the organization, um, then how in, how are we going to know whether we actually have a inclusive environment? So if we block people right at the earliest stages, then it's not going to be uh, a diverse and inclusive or an equal organization. So I'm a big believer, uh, and I don't think a lot of organizations do this, but what would stop an organization serving all those that apply for a job? A routine follow-up survey to ask the question, you know, how have you found this experience? Um, and you could do that for those who apply, those who um, were shortlisted and got to interview uh, and those who were unsuccessful. Um, and I think that would give you some indication of how people feel about the process. At the end of the day, you know, what you're advertising, who you're targeting, um, the channels that you use, the uh, people that you train to interview people, to shortlist and to interview people, um, the recruitment agencies or recruiters that you use, all of these um, things go towards creating barriers for entry into an organization. And, and you actually can do quite a bit if you're really thoughtful about it. So could you use blind recruiting at your first stage. So you're not looking for gender, you're not looking for race, you're not looking for all those kind of markers that will give you an indication of where somebody is from. And all you're looking at are skills um, or, you know, experience or, you know, and, and doing some blind recruiting. I don't know how exactly you could do it, but there's some very smart HR people and HR teams out there that could really look at that whole area um, of blind recruiting. But in order to get diversity in any organization and, and you know, Ebon, we talk about everything, every element from 
gender, to religion, to race, to age, to uh, sexual orientation, all of those things we think about in terms of this podcast and we, and we try to focus because I share your view when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion and our strategies, how deep are they really? Um, and honestly, stop clapping yourselves on the back and really look at each area um, and consider what are we doing? How could we make this better? How could we make people's experiences better? How can we ensure that we're as diverse an organization as possible? And that starts with diverse panels for interviews. It starts with looking at who succeeds. How do people succeed in our organization? Who are we promoting? Why are we promoting them? What does our board look like? Um, what does our uh, senior management team look like? What does our middle management team look like? Um, do we have certain categories of um, roles where we attract one grouping more than another? Why and what happens? Uh, in in those sections of the organization, how well paid are people? We've we're going through a process. We've done the first year of gender pay gap reporting. I don't believe it would be all that difficult to add in other dimensions um, to that pay gap reporting. I think you could certainly build in more um, because you're doing this big exercise every every year anyway, um, and you're publishing these results, you could really be ahead of the posse if you if you take a, a data-led um, approach to what you're doing. And don't clap yourself on the back until you can honestly look at every level of your organization and say, wow, we've made progress in these areas. This is where we were last year look where we are this year look where we're going to get to next year um, and do better do more mm -hmm. 100%. that's such a such a good way to finish it mary saying do better do more and um, because i suppose despite all the, the action that's out there there's so much more to be done and it's great to hear i suppose insights from yourself mary and also from yourself everyone it's fantastic to hear i suppose such varied range of insights and the amount of things we can just look. I really appreciate both your time today. Such an insightful, important discussion to have. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Eben. Thank you, Owen and Eben. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.